0: He is wonderful and the choir was pretty wonderful too. So, thank you so much. Today I am preaching from Ephesians chapter 3 verses 14 through 21. Paul writes this, "For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we all ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. In perhaps the greatest prayer ever put to ink, Paul prayed what he prayed today. Paul prays that our inner being will be strengthened. And that strengthening will come about as we, through faith, open ourselves up to Jesus Christ and to His Spirit. And when we do open ourselves up to Jesus Christ and His Spirit, Paul expects us to experience God's love in such a way that it becomes the center of our existence. We become rooted and established in love. We breathe in God's love. We hold on to it. It holds on to us. We clutch it to our hearts. It consumes us. He expects us, prays for us, to comprehend with our souls this reality. On The reality of what? How high and wide and long and deep is the love of Jesus Christ. That's quite a prayer, wouldn't you say? Paul then writes something that is paradoxical. He writes that we will know this love which surpasses cerebral knowledge. In other words, Paul prays that we will comprehend what words fail to describe and what surpasses the ability of the human mind to capture or wrap, its, wrap itself around. You know, I have, uh, early in the, when this church was much smaller, every time a baby was born, I would go and visit the new birth and then about four years ago you people went crazy and I just I had other things to do I just could not come and keep up with what you were doing out there not that I'm not proud of you you know when Jesus said be fruitful and multiply this church took it to heart but every time when I go to a new parent and I say describe what it was like Describe what it is like to have your first child. And usually it went like this. They begin to talk and then their eyes would fill with tears and they would choke up and they simply couldn't put it into words. But I knew exactly how they felt. I've been there myself 3 times. How do you describe what you feel the first time you see your child breathe and make a sound? How do you describe what what that means to you? How do you describe the first time you set eyes on this little person who will be yours like no one else will be? How do you describe that moment when you fall head over heels in love as you look into the eyes of your first baby and they look back at you? Knowing God's love is a lot like that. You can't put it into words, but you know it. You know it but you can't put it into words there's nothing like it the only way you can know what I'm talking about fully is to experience it yourself is to hold your first baby that there is a knowing that only comes through experience Paul says I pray that you will know what your mind can't grasp I pray that you will know what words can't describe I pray that you will know what in other surpasses words, what Paul is your intellect. Is I pray your heart will understand what your brain can't. You know, you see that knowing in the Bible is not the same as intellectual knowledge. Knowing in the Bible is an experiential thing. When the Bible talks about how a man knows a woman, it's not talking about concepts and ideas. It's talking about experience. It's talking about love. It's talking about two becoming one. When it says Abraham knew Sarah, it doesn't mean he understood how his woman thought. No man can know that. You, you think she's over here. She's like the wind. She's over there. You never know. I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I'm going to write a book men are from Mars women are women (laughs) that's all I can say when the Bible talks about as it does in Psalm 46 be still and know that I am God it's not talking about learning more facts about God it's not talking about learning more truths about God it's not talking about expanding your theology it's talking about biblical knowing directly experiencing God connecting to Him, communing with Him, being alive in His presence. It's about, in the same way, to become one between a man and a woman, to become one when you know God. In fact, the Hebrew word for sex and the Hebrew word for knowing, be still and know I am God, they're exactly the same word, yada. God wants us rooted and grounded in His love, not just expanding our theological vocabulary. He wants to know. He wants us to experience now and how wide and long and deep His love is. He wants to pour it straight into our hearts, and He wants us to swim in it. When the French philosopher Blaise Pascal, uh, you know, he lived a couple of hundred years ago. He was world famous, world famous French philosopher. But that didn't help him much because he was deeply unhappy despite his brilliance. And furthermore, he was a Christian and he was still miserable. I know some of them. And then one Monday night in his life, the living God burst into his life. He had an encounter with the living God like he had never had up to that point in life. And after that night, he was never the same. One day he was in bondage to himself, the next day he was free. Nine years after that occurrence, Pascal died. And Pascal's nephew found a crumbled piece of parchment sewn into his jacket that Pascal wore almost every day. And that parchment was sewn into his jacket over his heart so that that parchment would always be near to his heart. And here's what he wrote on that parchment fire, period. Fire, period. Fire, exclamation point. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not the God of philosophers. Remember, this is a philosopher talking. Not the God of philosophers and the learned. Certitude, certitude, feeling, joy, peace, God of Jesus Christ, forgetfulness of this world and everything except God grandeur of the human soul joy 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 tears of joy this is one of the most probably the most articulate man of his age and yet after this encounter he could not even put a sentence together it was just joy joy tears of joy he couldn't talk he st- he, he he stammered and he stuttered trying to describe the reality that had consumed him that night He came to know something that surpassed knowledge, just like Paul's prayer. Brendan Manning is one of my favorite authors, and he talks about a similar experience. In his book, The Glimpse of Jesus, he talks about how during an extended silent retreat in Tampa, Florida, he was reading the scriptures at a Franciscan Franciscan retreat center. He said, the, the subtle domination of self-hatred had returned to me. I was back on the roller coaster perfectionistic ride of perfectionistic depression. It means, it means you're a perfectionist and you beat yourself to a pulp over it. That's what perfectionist, anybody like that out there? Neurotic guilt, and he said, I had emotional instability. He said, the despotic power of my ideal self brought this nagging litany of, I should have, I could have. I ought to have have why didn't I why did I he said on all these questions pounding me persuaded me that my life was vanity vanity all is vanity and he says in at that moment Jesus came into the room and Jesus set me free he said he was praying the passage On, you know, in John chapter 13, 1 through 17, about the foot washing. And suddenly the Spirit took him and placed him in a vision in that foot washing. There he was in the upper room. And he said, I took Judas's place among the twelve. And he said, Jesus went, bent down, tied a towel around his waist, poured water from a pitcher into a copper basin, and he reached out to wash my feet. And involuntarily, he said, I pulled my foot back. I couldn't look at him. I had betrayed the vision for me he had given me. I had been unfaithful to my dream and thus unfaithful to his plan for my life. Sensing my dismay, Jesus placed his hand on my knee and said, Brennan, do you know what these years together have meant to me? You are being held by me even when you didn't believe I was holding you. I love you, Brennan Manning. He said, tears rolled down my cheeks. But Lord, my sins, my repeated failures, my weaknesses, I understand, Jesus said. But to be honest, Brennan, I expected more failure from you than you expected from yourself. And Jesus smiled. But he says, you always came back, Brennan. Nothing pleases me as much as when you trust me and when you allow my compassion to be bigger than your sinfulness. That's when you have, right there is the moment when you fall head over heels in love with Jesus Christ. That is when you began to understand the height and the depth and the breadth Of God's love this is when you get rooted and grounded in love that is when is when you discover that God's love for you is bigger than your sin and that there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus when you discover that God is not only there with you in your sin he is loving you there and he's going to let love you out of there He's going to bless you where you are and part of the blessing is getting you out of where you are. He's going to bless you when you're in bondage and lift you out of bondage. When that happens, you discover the love of God in a personal way you've never known it before. Manning went on, but Jesus, what about my irritating character defects? The boasting, the inflating of the truth, the pretense of being an intellectual, the impatience with people, and all the times I drank to excess. What you're saying to me is true, Jesus said. But your love for me has never wavered. Your heart has remained true to me. And what's more, even in the darkness and confusion, you have done something that overshadowed all the rest. You were kind to broken people too. Manning said, I cried so loudly in that retreat center that the person next door came over to see what was wrong. And after he left... Jesus said, Now I'll go. I have washed your feet with my love. Now you do the same for others. Serve my people humbly and lovingly. You will find happiness if you do that. Peace, my friend. Jesus is not an abstraction, He is not a theological concept, He is not some vague ground of being. He, as He hung on the cross, is the demonstration of how far God will go to have us, to what degree of rejection He will suffer for us, how much sin and betrayal He will withstand for us. The love of God on the cross is the love that the Spirit takes and places right in our hearts right now. This, this is why we can be rooted and grounded in love. Sometimes we get it so wrong, don't we? We focus so much on our efforts as if it was our efforts. We try to root and ground ourselves in how committed we are or how hard we work or how moral we are or or, or in spiritual disciplines or church attendance or character. And I'm not saying these things aren't important. They are fruits of the Spirit. They're fruits of walking with Jesus, but they are not what holds us. They are not what we are rooted and grounded in. But the Bible teaches me that what roots and grounds me is nothing and can be nothing else but God's love, God's grace. Not how much I know or how disciplined I am or how hard I try. That is not what you're going to be grounded in, folks. Those things change. But it is His love that holds and keeps us. His love that feeds my soul. It is His love that is the bread of our spirits. Spiritual disciplines, are, they're very important, but they're not what keeps me. They, are, they, they only put me in the place where I can see and feel and discover what God is freely giving. It's like, spiritual disciplines are like plates that God can put the food on. But when you go to a restaurant, you don't go for the plates. You don't go for the silver. You don't go, oh my Lord, I love this restaurant. All oh, the forks are genuine aluminum. You don't say that. Or oh, man, I love the porcelain here. Oh, oh, you have you tried the porcelain down at Five Guys, you know? <laughs> there is no porcelain at Five Guys. It's all paper. <laughs> we are here for the food, not for the plates. Now, the first thing is that we often avoid what what stops us from being strengthened and, 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 and rooted and established in our inner person is this. Often we are afraid of taking the journey that is necessary through our own soul. Mark Buchanan said I knew a man who took two weeks to walk in silence and solitude in the highlands of Wales. He kept company with stones and fields and starry nights. And at first, it was a much-needed break, a break needed from his life's clutter and scatter. But around the fourth night, he said, something shifted. He said, I grew terribly afraid, not of wolves or storms, but of something shadowy and naked, stalking him, edging ever closer. What he discovered he was afraid of was himself, solitude unlatched this dark place in him, some place where memories and longings and fears had lied buried, locked, locked up long, for so long he'd forgotten them. But silence and aloneness loosed them out of the cellar. "I thought I'd gone mad," he said. "I felt I couldn't escape. I feared sleeping. I feared waking. I dreaded daytime and nighttime. I wanted to get as far away from myself as I could. "You know, that's a problem because the one person you can't run from very long is you. But he had nowhere to hide. And after many days, he began to see things he had not seen for years, some he had not seen for a lifetime. He saw how he avoided closeness with other people, how he avoided intimacy, and the subtle ways he sabotaged intimacy and made it look as if others were to blame. Anybody know what I'm talking about? He saw how he had become so busy and a workaholic in order to elude his sense of emptiness and insignificance. He felt bad, and so he just worked and worked and worked so he wouldn't feel bad anymore. He saw that all his accomplishments had never removed from him a primal fear that he was a fraud and somebody would see beyond it and expose him. He said after two weeks on this retreat, he knew himself in a way he had never imagined He said, it was as if I had met myself for the first time. I felt I returned from that two weeks with a new soulmate. Or maybe I just returned with a soul for the first time. Some of us have lost touch with the deepest part of who we were a long time ago. But please hear this. When I shut out the pain and stress of my own heart, I am also shutting out my ability to experience God's love directly. You don't get to pick what exists in your soul. A lot life kind of installs that. You can only deal with what's in your soul and let God speak to you in the middle of what's in your soul and touch you with, with and heal what's in the middle of your soul. But if you run from what's in the middle of your soul, for whatever reason, you are running from experiencing God's love directly. There is no way to feel God's love the but right in the middle. The it's hard to be strengthened and established in our inner beings by the love of God is part of my own testimony. The love of God is so wonderful and so strange, and so alien to our human experience, so alien to this world. We often find ourselves. Ill at ease with it. Now, you would think the opposite would happen, but it happens this way often. I've never heard anybody preach this, so I'm going to preach it. And here's the truth. For some of us, it will take years to feel comfortable experiencing God's love. For some, I've observed it's easy. For whatever reason, some people can just open their hearts and take it right in, and I praise God for that. But for many of us, it is a battle to let God love us, especially when we've come from a life and a family where trust has been radically violated again and again. I know for years I struggled with this, it's too good to be true feeling every time I felt God's love. In fact, every time I felt God's love, it made me anxious. It made me scared. I was caught in between two poles. I desperately wanted God's love. And I was tremendously afraid of it. I felt scared and anxious because, one, I felt so undeserving of it. And at an even deeper level, I just couldn't trust it. You know, for some of us, we've been so beaten up by life, your truster gets busted. You know what I'm talking about? I learned life's lessons well. I grew up where I would be hugged and then I would be slugged. And when God came a-hugging, the next thing I looked for was the slugging. When was the rug going to get pulled out? When was the other shoe going to drop? I just couldn't trust it. I kept waiting for God to say, I love you, but... I kept waiting for God to say we're going to be really close if Do you, anybody relate to this? I just kept you know and, and so I just I have to admit to you this was the struggle of my spiritual life. I've been a Christian for 44 years. It took me 25 years for me to really accept the love of God experientially in my life. It wasn't intellectually. I never questioned intellectually the love of God. I'm talking about feeling it. It took me 25 years. And I was up here preaching about it. But the greatest, and and at times it was a battle of epic proportions in my soul. But the greatest spiritual leap in my life was one day I was praying and struggling with this and the Spirit spoke directly to me. And he said, you've been struggling with this for a long time. Don't you think it's time to make up your mind? Don't you think it's time to take a leap? Or are you going to sabotage my love the rest of your life? Are you going to question it the rest of your life? Are you going, are you going, to, you know, are you going to keep trying to figure out why I love you and you can't figure it out? And at that moment, I knew I had to take that that leap of faith. And I said to the Lord, Lord, with your help, I will accept what you are giving. I will accept it. And when I said that, it scared me to death. Because what if the other shoe dropped? But I said, look, I can't go the rest of my life like this. And here's how I I sabotage it. You know, the the love of God, the Spirit would come on me, and I'd feel His love, and I'd go, how do I know this is me, and and how do I know this is God and not me? I want to talk about quenching the Spirit, you know. Or I'd go, why are you doing this? Why are you loving me this way? What, you know, can't justify your love for me? There is no justifying His love. And finally, God said, Look, you're gonna take it or you're not? You're gonna receive it or you're not? And I said, Okay, I am. And that was the turning point, aside after getting saved, that was the turning point in my spiritual life. I began to trust it, even though it scared me to death. And sometimes I wanted to run back in a cave. I began to trust it. And since that point, it has grown. And it has grown so many years with and God where life. my heart has been melted over and over and over, and it gets sweeter and sweeter as the day goes by. There's nothing like it, but I need to tell some of you, accepting it was not easy, but at some point you have to say, come on in. Some point you have to give God's love a chance. I have never regretted that. I found out there was no buts. I found out there was no ifs. I found out there is no condemnation in Christ. I, find out, I found out there is only love waiting for me in the presence of Jesus. One writer said that in October 1971, thousands of people lost their homes in the Oakland Bay firestorm. It was a firestorm, not just a fire, but it was whipped by 50 and 60 and 70 mile an hour winds. And when they meant people were able to return to the charred hillside that was once their neighborhood, they were stunned to see the totality of their loss. Everything was burned. Everything melted. The fire had consumed everything in its path. But as one man was sifting through the ashes, searching for some memento for his only daughter, he found one small treasure, a tiny porcelain rabbit. Both father and daughter marveled that of all their pet possessions, this fragile piece had come through the fire unscathed. In the weeks that followed, the media reported that other fire victims had found pottery and porcelain items intact in the ashes of their burnt-down homes, too. Why was that the case? According to writer Susan Williams, a minister appeared in his pulpit the Sunday after the fire, Carrying an unbroken porcelain vase he had that he had recovered from his home. And he held up the vase and he said, do you know why this is still here and everything else in our house isn't? He said, this vase is still here because it passed through the fire before the fire got here. The Holy Spirit wants to heat our hearts white hot. And as the fires of the kiln give porcelain and pottery pieces the strength to survive other fires, the love of God strengthens us now and in years to come. When you get rooted and grounded in love, brothers and sisters, you can survive all the other fires. If your heart has been in the furnace of God's love, then no other fire can burn it up. You are imperishable. Everything may get burned up, but not the heart forged in the kiln of God's love. Everything else may go and go wrong, but you're going nowhere if you are rooted and grounded in the love of Jesus. You are rooted and grounded in the love of God that surpasses all knowledge and which the world cannot touch. John Ortberg has a friend named Max who was in his 80s, and he'd been married to his wife Esther for 60 years. They could live anywhere, but they lived in Michigan, and Ortberg said, why do you live in Michigan in the winter? And he said, my wife Esther loves Michigan in the winter. And Ortberg asked, but but what about you? You're not crazy about it. And he said, I decided a very long time ago that home is where Esther is. That's all that matters. Our real home, our real security, our real peace is not a place but a person. Our real home is where Jesus is. And nothing can take that away or take him away. A heart rooted and grounded in love will stand in the ashes when everything else is burned. It can still be strong even in the rubble. Because nothing, 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 nothing is stronger than God's love alive in a human heart. That's what Paul said, isn't it? Nothing can separate us from it. Not something you did in your past. Not something in the present, not something in the future, not something below the earth or on the earth or above the earth. Not angels, not demons. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, from a heart rooted and grounded in it. And so I'm going to end this sermon with this. I'm going to pray over you what Paul prayed 2,000 years ago over the Ephesians. And I want you to receive this as from the Lord. Because it is. I pray that out of His glorious riches He may strengthen you with so that Christ may dwell in your hearts in through faith. Heart. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the fullest measure of all the fullness of God. I can pray for nothing better for you than that. That is the greatest prayer you will ever hear. It is the greatest prayer you will ever pray. And the great news is that the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to put it down on paper so that we would pray that prayer, so that we would experience it, experience the love being rooted and grounded in this love that goes beyond knowledge. That is God's will for you. Hallelujah. I I don't know about you, but I, I could... If I was in another church, I'd be running right now. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I would like the worship team, Bart, to come up. But before he starts playing, I just want you to bow your heads and in the silence, I want you to say, Jesus, help me to receive this love. I'm scared. Help me receive it anyway. I'm broken. I got problems. Help me receive it anyway. I'm, I'm hurting. Help me receive it anyway. Help me to know the length and the width and the height and the depth of your love. Oh, Jesus.